my first reaction is usually the right one. When I tend to sit on things too long and overanalyze them, it usually just gets me in more trouble. And welcome back to Off Record with your host, Corey Levy. Today we speak to prolific music manager Jordan Feldstein, who is best known for being the founder and CEO of Beverly Hills-based career artist management, overseeing 16 clients, among them Maroon 5, who has sold over 12.4 million albums and 48 million digital songs in the United States alone. In this week's episode, Jordan talks about what inspired him to go into the music business, what his high school and college experience was like, his favorite experience about being a manager, what artists should do now to build a fan base, and the hardships that came along with managing what would become one of the biggest bands in the world. There's that and many more. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Off Record. Thank you so much, Jordan, for joining the show today. I want to start by asking, how did you get into music? Well, I grew up in LA. My dad's kind of peripherally in the music business. He's a business manager, which is kind of a fancy term for an accountant. Primary part of his business was always musicians. And so he did like Guns N' Roses back in the day. And he worked with Neil Diamond and a variety of different acts. And he still does it today. So I always kind of grew up around it. And growing up in LA, obviously, almost everyone I knew was in some sort of entertainment. I was always kind of attracted to the music guys for some reason. So I kind of just grew up always wanting to be in it. And what were your high school and teenage years like? You know, I was pretty introverted. I was just really a sports and music nerd, frankly. I would just study sports and music. I was really into hip-hop in high school in particular, and college for that matter as well. But I would, like, study who produced every record. I knew who engineered every record, mixed every record, what studios they went to. That was, like, a big component of my life was, like, reading credits and liner notes of records and listening to tons of music music. And then you went off to Syracuse to study business. Was your college experience similar? Not as much. I became somewhat more social during that period of time. Came out of my shell a little bit, but still it was a big component. The good part of being in college was that I got to intern a lot during school and during the summer and during winter break. So I interned at Warner Brothers Record, you know, because at that point you could get actually get credits for interning. And I interned at Rap-A-Lot New Tribe. I interned at Virgin Records. So I got to intern at a bunch of different places, which was like beyond my wildest dreams. It was amazing. What were those internships like? Was there anything that you didn't expect that, that happened? Or were you like in the mailroom? Or... I got to like see artists. You know, like for instance, when I worked at Rap-A-Lot New Tribe, which was part of Virgin at the time, EMI folded their urban department into Rap-A-Lot New Tribe. So like Gangstar became part of, which was, at the time was one of my favorite artists, became part of the urban roster there, of the Virgin's urban roster. And and then like Rap-A-Lot had like Looney's, which had like I Got Five on it, which was like one of my favorite songs. So I got to like be around artists that I love. And it was amazing. It was just such an eye-opening experience. And it just made me fall in love with the business even more. And how did you get those internships? Or I guess a better question would be, what would your advice be to someone young in college right now trying to stand out from the crowd and work in the music business? 
You know, I might be a bad example, to be honest, because there there was a bit of nepotism in that story. My dad worked with the guy who started and ran New Tribe, Eric Brooks. So he actually got me that job. But to be honest, I mean, we hire, like at our company, we always have five, ten interns. And almost none of them are like family, friends or anything. I think if, if you just push for it, and you're able to work for free, there's probably a good place to work within the music business because the music business is always looking for free labor, frankly. And I mean, to me, the music business has always been based more on aggressiveness and hustling and effort than it has been based on pedigree, which is kind of what I have always loved about the music business. It's kind of the great equalizer. It's not based on what school you went to. It's not based on where you grew up. I mean, there is some of that, but for the most part, like it's based on... On, you know how great of a hustler and who's going to work the hardest do you have any examples of a recent hustle story one of your uh, either employees or someone that tried to get your attention that was successful in that regard yeah, I mean, almost everyone who works for me is like, none of us are like Ivy League educated guys, you know? We just, we just work hard. Frankly, myself included. Like, I'm not, I was never a great student. I was never a guy anyone was looking at to be a success story. And I don't, you know, to some degree, maybe I'm still not that. But, you know, I think that I always was willing to fight for my artist probably harder than most. You know, maybe at times to my own detriment personally, but, you you know, I was willing to go into a mile extra than most other guys were. And therefore, I, I won more times than I lost. And to me, that's what I've always loved about this business. It wasn't about, you know, who could take a test better or who could recite Shakespeare or, <laughs> or, or all the, any of those other kinds of things that I was never good at, frankly. It made me feel less than, you know, it was it was based on will and effort and that I love. That's awesome. What would be your favorite part of your job right now? I still love the music part, you know, the creativity of putting together an album. That to me is still the part that gets me out of bed in the morning. If it it was just about marketing products and analytics and radio, this would not... I I love components of all that part, but that to me is not what drives me. It's the art that drives me and being able to take that art and then then doing creative things with that art, like creating marketing campaigns around it and and whatnot is is fantastic. But to me, it's about the music. It's got to be, you know? And when I'm not inspired by the music, it's, it's just hard. It's just harder, frankly, to get inspired. And I'm sure you get pitched all the time with different art and music. What stands out? What grabs your attention? To be honest, I mean, at various times, it's been various things. But to be honest, it's like, it's two things for me now. One, is it something I want to play in my car on the weekend? It's that simple for me. Or two, do do my kids like it? You know, when you become a parent, that becomes a much more important component of your life. You know, I have an eight to 10 year old sons. And if they dig it, it's... That makes me happy, too. So it's one of those two things. Have they informed you of an artist that you hadn't heard of yet? No, they're not at that point where they kind of get free reign of the computer, you know? So they're not, like, on SoundCloud listening to music. I'm actually excited for that day when they kind of turn me on to something that I won't know. Right now, I'm kind of turning them on to things, which is fun in its own right. But I'm kind of excited for the reverse to happen as well. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be fun. We had an artist recently. She had Aloe Black, and he said the most important thing for an artist today is to tour as much as possible to grow a fan base. Do you agree with that, or what? What are some other important factors artists should focus on now, and knowing that the landscape is constantly changing? I mean, Maroon was built on touring. I think that there is a lack 
of artists going into markets, particularly overseas markets, and playing shows. I see a lot of artists, like, it was. we always made a point when Maroon went into a market, because a lot of times labels will want to get artists into a market and get them out of the market as soon as possible in order to reduce the cost of the promotional trip, right, for obvious reasons. So we always made it a point, if they're going into a market, they're playing a show, right? That was always a point. It's a reason why Maroon's touring is as healthy as virtually any artist on the planet, and they play markets that a lot of other acts don't play. You know, to me today, I do think that that's lacking, but I think that equally as important is creating how much amazing, interesting content can you create so that when you're not in market and when you're not in cycle, because the traditional record cycle just doesn't exist anymore, how do you remain relevant to people who are constantly being fed entertainment all the time? Like that's a constant struggle for us. You know, is even with Maroon and, you know, Adam's on TV almost year round because we two, two seeds of the voice. Even with them, it's like, how do we maintain relevance 365, 12 months a year all the time? And with artists that are not on TV all the time, it's, as you can imagine, it's even more of a struggle. So to me, that's, you know, the constant is creating interesting, fresh ways to deliver content virally. Got it. And let's let's talk a little bit about Maroon 5. You went to high school with Adam, is that right? No, we went to different high schools, but our dads are friends from high school. They were like best friends in high school. So I've known Adam my whole life. And when did you start officially working with the band? In 2000. And what was that like? I'm curious. Were there any, like, you know, I guess the story we know today is Maroon 5 is one of the largest, you know, bands in the world. Were there any down points or any stories of low points, of points of challenge? Oh, constant. <laughs> there are constant points of challenge. Yeah, I mean, when we shopped them, bands were, the hot bands at the time were like Limp Bizkit and Corn, you know? And literally every major you can think of, and at the time there were lots of majors, not like today where there's like three majors, turned them down. I mean, every single one. We ended up signing with an independent label out of New York called Octone, which doesn't exist anymore. That was funded by a bunch of VC guys who like individually, not through the VCs, but individually put their money in collectively and and funded a little record label. And we were their first signing. And they had an upstream deal with Jay Records at the time, which also does not exist, which, you know, folded into what is now RCA. Yeah, so that was the first hurdle was like, we couldn't even get signed for like a year. And then getting people to understand the music was really difficult at the start. I mean, it was something that, you know, people could understand, but it was it was not something that was that was in at the time, you know? So it was like totally against the grain. And then a couple records in, so the first album was obviously a major success, songs about Jane around the world. The second album did very well. And then by the third album, it was starting, you know, to take a dip. And at that point, you know, it, the sound on radio became more rhythmic and more pop. People were starting to write with all the pop writers that you see today. And we kind of, in the middle of that record cycle, kind of took a turn and decided to start writing with outside writers and that's when moves like jagger came about so like we changed course literally in the middle of that cycle the voice came and we did moves like jagger and just made a sharp left in the middle of that cycle and, and what was that like was that nerve-wracking or was that like were you pretty confident this would work songwriting part i was pretty confident in because when i heard that record i was like that's a smash like Let's go. You know, it's very tough to have to write all your own material constantly. And Adam had written three amazing records. And and I think he was just kind of burnt and was ready to have some outside influence 
into the writing process. The Voice was a scarier proposition because at the time, no real artist of credibility had been on a show like that, at least not in the United States, you know? And we were taking a leap of faith. But I, I will say that at the time, at least, having CeeLo come on board because he was so hot with Fuck You and he was an artist we really respected going back to Goody Mob. That kind of alleviated our concern, but we were still very nervous. I mean, we had no idea what that show was going to be. But conceptually, we really liked the idea of what the show was about, which was that it wasn't based on the looks of the person. It was based on the voice with the sh- with the chairs turned to the back. That conceptually really, it was the anti-idol, which we really liked. But yeah, we were nervous about that show, absolutely. And obviously that show has gone on to, to be very, very, very successful. What would you say biggest challenges are right now for Maroon 5 and then for you? I mean, the biggest challenge we have specifically, more so with Adam than the band, is just his time. I mean, we, you know, shooting two seasons of that show a year is daunting. Idol never shot two seasons in a year. Dancing with the Stars never shot two seasons in a year. It's just scheduling his time. There's so many opportunities, amazing opportunities coming his way and balancing the band and the recording and the acting opportunities he wants to do and all of his business ventures is, is that's a full-time job in itself is just trying to figure all that out. And then for myself, I mean, you know, the, the biggest challenge that I have is pursuing a healthy personal life and trying to be a dad and trying to pursue the business opportunities as well. I think that's it's always a constant struggle. And how do you make hard decisions? Do you have any tactics if there's a really hard decision to make? You no, know, for better or worse, I always find that my first reaction is usually the right one. When I tend to sit on things too long and overanalyze them, I, it usually just gets me in more trouble. Got it. And I want to talk a little bit about controversy. Do you have any stories, either firsthand or secondhand, where bands you've worked with have used controversy to get attention? None of the controversy I've personally had was ever positive. So I never used that as a way to get attention for myself. I can say that definitively. In terms of the artists that I represent, I mean, probably the most successful way I've used controversy to gain notoriety for an artist that I represent is probably the Blurred Lines video for Robin Thicke. You know, although not a very, it's not like nudity, we invented nudity, but for some reason that video really created a stir that I frankly wasn't expecting. I mean, I knew that obviously the women were beautiful and I thought the song was amazing and I thought it'd be a great vehicle for the song, but I did not necessarily expect the controversy that swirled around that video. And for those who don't know, you want to share a little bit of the story of what what happened? I mean, some people portrayed it as misogynistic. I didn't feel that it was. You know, the woman who directed the video, Diane Martel, is a genius, is a woman, you know? So it wasn't, the the vision was, it was certainly wasn't my vision. It was not Robin's vision. It was purely her vision um, and her artistic statement to be made. And I thought she did a beautiful job. A lot of the controversy, frankly, I think was more around the lyrical content of the song, which I think was also misunderstood. But that's, once again, my subjective opinion on it that caused more of a stir and a lot of it frankly at the time was positive it it later kind of became negative but it it certainly was controversial nonetheless that video got hundreds of millions of views right huge yeah how do you think artists and entrepreneurs musicians should deal with controversy do you think they should stay away from it seek it or just not back away when it comes up i never try to purposefully put anything out there that's controversial i think if you want to make a statement that's artistic make that statement fearlessly but i don't try to ever purposefully create that statement 
to be controversial. That's my personal opinion. Got it. Got it. And I guess what's something that you think is controversial today that won't be tomorrow? Do you have any predictions? Thing that I'm consumed with that I think is absurd is, you know, I think anyone who wants to protest the national anthem that, and anyone who finds it controversial today, I think that will become a non-issue in the near future because it's, it's, it's a basic American right to be able to protest anything you want in a peaceful manner. You know, I think that's something, a controversy that should, should and will go away pretty quickly. And I guess changing topics a little bit, what, what would be your advice to young people trying to figure out what they want to do with their life? You got to find something that you're passionate about. And I know that sounds cliche, but like at the end of the day, every business is going to have its challenge. You know, if you love computers, there's going to be issues in that business. If you love food, there's going to be issues in that business, music, film, whatever. But at the end of the day, if you get to be around something that you inherently love, you should just be grateful for that. So like, you know, if I'm getting yelled at by an artist at two in the morning, that's terrible and it stinks. But inherently, I get to go to a concert that week or I get to go to Europe on a promo trip and I get to go to some great museum because of that opportunity or, you know, I get to see you too at the Rose Bowl. You know, it's like it, inherently music has allowed me to be around music, and therefore I'm lucky in that regard. Whatever problems arise, I can always be grateful that I get to be around the thing, you know, something I love on a daily basis. And you've worked with a lot of amazing people. What would you say you've learned most from Adam, from you know, some of the people in your network? I mean, Adam is the most hardworking guy I know, so that inspires me. He's the most generous guy I know, that inspires me. And he has an amazing ability to balance art and commerce that I just think is like very few artists are able to do. He's able to see both sides of that in a way that few artists are able to. And who are some of your mentors in the music world? I started out working for a guy named Bill Leopold, who's an amazing guy who managed Melissa Etheridge forever. He gave me my first job in management. He's, he's a wonderful guy and taught me tons. Irving Azoff, amazing mentor. I worked for him for eight years. Let me sit in his office and listen to him on the phone. I learned tons, supported me through tons of different struggles throughout life and business. And he was amazing. My dad had been in the business for, you know, 40 years and was amazing. So probably those three were the top. I imagine you mentor some people as well. What are some ineffective things that you see people do in the music business where, you, you know, if you could go back in time and say, Jordan, I shouldn't waste my time doing these things, what would those be? I think as a manager, you know, once you have some success, you get caught in, in like kind of a rat race to sign more. And I, I would have probably signed less and have maintained focus on a core group of artists. And what's something you know you should do, but you haven't done yet? That could be either personal or professional. Probably get on social media. <laughs> I hate it and I won't do it. And everyone bothers me to do it. And I, I probably should at some point maybe have at least some sort of social media. But uh, I just refuse. I just can't do it. Why uh, Why not? I just, I don't know. It, it, it's just not, it's just not me. I don't know why, but I just can't. I can't bring myself to do it. And, and I guess, do, do you have a 10-year plan or a five-year plan? Do you have any, any big goals? I'm really loving, me and Adam have a production company at NBC, and I'm really loving that part. It's it's allowing, you know, us to control content in a, in a very different way, in a different medium that I'm really enjoying. And I love getting to producing films. That's kind of always been a lifelong dream as well. 
which couple of books or podcasts you think vicious young people should should absolutely read or listen to right now? I read it a while ago, but the CAA book is just was fascinating to me, and it covers a wide spectrum of the entertainment business and business in general, and and just dynamics amongst business partners that I found fascinating. I highly recommend that book. In terms of podcasts, to be honest, I'm also a sports nerd, so I listen to a lot of sports podcasts, Mike and Mike, Pardon the Interruption, stuff like that. So I I might not be those might not be the best examples for people to go listen to. But and I'm trying to think what other books I've read. You know, I read a lot with my kids. So we read like Gulliver's Travelers and stuff like that. I'm like rereading stuff like that with my kids right now. You know, like Shel Silverstein and stuff like that. But those might not be great suggestions for your fans. <laughs> awesome. And a couple couple last questions. If there was one thing you could pinpoint that has contributed to your success more than anything, what would that be yeah. and why? Just belief in effort. To be honest, I know it sounds simple, but like, I believe from the second I heard the first song from Maroon 5, I just believed it like utterly and completely. Like there was no hesitation and I worked like a crazy man. You know, I think if you're willing to put forth that amount of effort and you're willing to believe in something that fully, you, that thing may not happen. If it doesn't happen on that thing, it's going to get recognized somewhere in the business. You know, I've met guys who work for me. Maybe the thing that they were working on, that one thing that they were working on wasn't successful, but I recognized how hard they worked and how much they believed in the thing they were working on at the time. And I hired them on the that basis. And I think if, if you're willing to believe in something that much and work as hard as I was willing to work, then that will be recognized by someone who will then give you another opportunity. Right, right. And back to the crazy man, is there a story of where your friends or your family just thought you were crazy and any story you can share where you were just working so hard or trying to... Oh, yeah. I mean, they almost, they almost had interventions for me. I would go to Europe for a day for a meeting and, you know, or get a mix approved by the band for a day in person and then fly back and go on a Sunday morning, go straight back into the office. I mean, I was, I was a machine. It was all I did. Wow. Do you have any other stories like that? That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, I went one time. I flew from LA to Germany for literally less than 24 hours to get the She Will Be Loved mix approved and to play them something from a Shrek movie that we didn't even end up doing. And then I flew back, landed on a Sunday morning, and was in the office that day, all day work. Wow. Yeah. Did your friends or family ever do that intervention? Saying, you know, no, they didn't actually intervene, but they later told me that they were going to. They were like talking about it. <laughs> and how do you manage your, your life in time right now? How do you make sure you're working on the important things and not necessarily the urgent, distracting things? I purposefully do not check my phone the first hour I wake up in the morning. That's one thing I do. I've started meditating. That's been helpful. On the weekends with my kids, I have like no phone time. You know, things like that. You got to just, you got you to create boundaries, I think, for yourself. Do you meditate regularly or is it a certain time every day? I'm trying to. I'm trying to do like 15 minutes in the morning and 15 in the afternoon. I don't, I don't always get to it, but I, I at least make an effort. We have a Miguel record that I'm really excited about that's coming out in November. Chromio record that's coming out next year that we're really excited about. Really interesting interview. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate cool. it. Cool. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good day.